everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, we discuss the future of Dana White's Contender Series. Will it produce more champions and Hall of Famers than the Ultimate Fighter? Also, tales from the broadcast booth, including the statements of Tony Romo and the actions of Joe Buck. What do I think of them? Also, about last night with Laura Senko talking all things Contender Series and the controversy surrounding the fights yesterday. Dana discussed how he believes Dana White's Contender Series will establish champs, Hall of Famers, like the Ultimate Fighter did. Interesting comparison here. I will go into the details of why I think this might be more successful in a certain way. What? You get what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, this is at the Dana White's Contender Series post-fight press conference where Dana White does give us a lot of material. It's great to have him there. Um, this is what he had to say about the difference between Dana White's Contender Series and The Ultimate Fighter. Two totally different shows. I mean, you, you, you can't compare the two, and you definitely can't compare the, the libraries. Because when you look at the Contender Series and what it's meant to be, the Contender Series is the best unsigned guys um, in the world fighting each other to see who gets a contract, one night, whatever. The... the um, the Ultimate Fighter is more of a developmental show. I mean, when you when you go into the Ultimate Fighter, you come out of that place a better fighter. It's it's a completely different show. And obviously the Ultimate Fighter will always be, you know, number one to me. It's the thing that that made us and you know, we've done so many seasons of it. Uh yeah, I I, I get how Dana would have an emotional attachment to the Ultimate Fighter. But here's my personal issue. I agree with what he's saying, that, that the Ultimate Fighter is a bit more developmental. That's recent, people. <laughs> that is very... Now, KOB's laughing, too, because he remembers the ulti- early Ultimate Fighters like I did. Guys like, and I'm just picking random names here, guys like Mike Swick, Chris Lieben, Forrest Griffin, uh, Rashad Evans, Joe Daddy Stevenson, those guys had a lot of... Melvin Gillard, I remember him, had a lot of fights on the Ultimate Fighter. Before they went to the Ultimate Fighter, those guys were established names. I am from Southern California. I came up at the same time uh, as, as Joe Daddy Stevenson. That dude fought a ton. Every king of the cage, gladiator challenge, I saw Joe Stevenson. The dude fought a lot. So, uh, you know, guys like Mac Danzig, for example, won the Ultimate Fighter. They had a lot of fights. This whole developmental, they haven't fought as much, that's only in the last few years. The early years of the Ultimate Fighter, had some dudes on it who had fought a lot. Michael Bisping. Substantial records beforehand. So this line of Dana White's contender series is for established guys. Tough was for uh, more developmental guys. That wasn't how it started out. They put veterans on the Ultimate Fighter early. That's part of the reason the Ultimate Fighter at first generated a lot of champions and recently hasn't as much. Because of that. So what he's saying these two shows are for is a recent thing. It's a recent development. Okay? So uh, they also ask different things of the audience. I'll get to that in a second. Let's go back to Dana White. And he talks about the library available from Dana White's Contender Series. The Contender Series. I mean, this library, when you... I, you know, we, when we do these knockout and submission videos, the you know greatest knockouts and all that stuff, I think 
every fight in season one was a knockout. I mean, you could you could do the whole first season uh, a, a knockout show on that. And and when you think of the, all the different ways to chop up the the content, it's the second best library in all of combat sports. I I, I can't think of another combat sport that has a better library than, than, than the contender series. Sure. Sure, a lot of knockouts. Why? Because, uh, uh, as I will get into a minute, you're asking a different thing of the audience. You're asking a different thing of the fighters themselves. The Ultimate Fighter. If you win the Ultimate Fighter, fine. They can all be the most boring decisions in the world. It's a tournament. As long as I win, it's okay. I just finished discussing in the last segment, which I'm sure all of you listen to, is... Tournaments are tough because whoever wins, wins. Uh, they don't have to earn style points. They just have to win. And so you're asking fighters in Dana White's contender series to have outstanding performances to get contracts. That is a very different ask than you got to beat three guys in six weeks living in a house. Okay, I don't care how I win. I'm trying not to get hurt. So... Of course, you can get more knockouts in Dana White's contender series because you're asking the fighters to make a big impression with a very small sample size, which is one fight. Once again, you're asking a different thing in the audience. I'll get into that in a minute. So uh, this is a bold statement, but I believe it is true comparing the Ultimate Fighter and Dana White's contender series. Hit it. When you look at the people that are starting to come out of the contender series, it's it's still new enough that we haven't had any champs. Yep. But going in the future, if you have to look forward, do you think eventually we'll have more champs and Hall of Famers coming out of the contender series than possibly coming out of the the Ultimate Fighter? I do think that. Yeah, I do. I think that that you'll you'll find more world champions coming out of the contender. Yeah. Uh, partly by virtue of you get a lot of winners on contender series, so. Just the aggregate numbers are going to be bigger because there's only one winner to each Ultimate Fighter house, right? Each Ultimate Fighter season. You only have one winner. Have we had seasons with multiple standouts? Yeah, but not since the early ones. Rarely is it the winner did great and then these two other guys did great. It's pretty rare. Dana White's Contender Series has a lot of winners. X amount per night win, okay? And then how many of those get contracts? It seems like a lot recently. So this idea that more champs are going to come out of Dana White's contender series, mathematically, you're almost certainly going to be right. There's more, there are more of them. And also, to Dana White's point, they tend to be more experienced than the guys you're putting on tough now. I don't believe the contender series does anything special. What I believe is... The ultimate fighter has just gotten a lot weaker over the years. Um, Amir Sadala, when he won the ultimate fighter, having never competed in MMA, I was out. I was out. I was like, all right. That, if, if a guy can win this, having never fought before, who's never going to amount to a fart in a windstorm in the actual UFC, which he did not, I, why am I watching? Why am I watching? What? So I think what we're seeing is the ultimate fighter has really been watered down over the last few years. Dana White's contender series, he's risking a lot less. He's having a lot more winners, giving out a lot more contracts. The scales are just going to tip, and there's nothing we can do about it. When I do my thing for ESPN International uh, UFC Fight Camp, 
we covered a lot of this last season of The Ultimate Fighter because it had an international fighter on it, and Alexander Volkanovsky, a lot of our audience is in Australia. And we didn't cover any of the fighting. It was all about, you know, Ortega putting snakes in the, the, the office of, of Volkanovsky to scare him. And it was all about this kind of goofy, hokey reality show stuff. So that element, I think, is way less appealing these days. And the talent pool for The Ultimate Fighter is just more and more shallow. So I think it's more about Dana White's Contender Series overcoming that because tough just isn't what it used to be. It isn't. At the end of the day, in a decade, will there be more from Dana White's Contender Series or The Ultimate Fighter in total? Now, remember, The Ultimate Fighter has a head start right now. It has a head start. We have seen champs from The Ultimate Fighter. We haven't seen any from Dana White's Contender Series. But in the future, will that scale change over? But beyond that, it's very interesting. And I will throw it to my reality show expert. I'm lucky I have one here. I just happen to have one that never misses it. And by the way, she just threw her hair back like, oh, I'm on, I'm on stage. Pardon me. Uh, I have one here who's a reality show connoisseur. Is that, is that how you would define yourself? Expert, aficionado. What's the right verbiage? I mean, all of the above. I all of the, right. Okay. necessarily exclude all of those. How dare I take any <laughs> adjectives away? So, so here's the deal. Uh, when I look at this, the Ultimate Fighter as a an essentially reality show, they're asking me to get invested in six weeks of a show that is a lot of BS that has doesn't have anything to do with fighting. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying like, if I'm a fight fan, okay, you're asking me to get involved in oh, I threw snakes into the freaking room and all that dumb stuff, and then I'm invested in a fighter by the end who recently over the last few years hasn't always had the best career in the UFC. Is the ultimate fighter asking a lot of its audience, maybe too much of its audience, than Dana White's contender series where, once again, I'm just watching a fight card, basically. Oh, they won on the ultimate fighter? Oh, they got a contract? Okay, let's see them on the next card. Rather than, God, I got to sit and watch for six weeks to get somebody that may or may not do anything in the UFC. Is that the imbalance here, Kelly? Absolutely, and you have a new contender series every week for X amount of weeks, so it's not like you're committing to one person that you have to watch week after week after week. Whereas ultimate fighter, you need to commit to these fighters for, you know, six or seven weeks, whatever it is. And Dana just admitted last night that it's more developmental. So it's not even like you have these experienced talent, not that they're not talented, but experienced and talented with a lot of tape on them that we know. And we know kind of what their ceiling could be. You have, inexperienced guys going into a house that you have to watch for, you know, two months or whatever it is with no certainty that they're going to do anything ultimately when they get into the UFC. So what's your, like, what is your reality show kryptonite? Like, I have to watch this show when it's on. Oh, gosh. Um, Housewives. She's she's trying to pick one. Housewives Housewives. of what? Like, aren't they? Beverly Hills or New Jersey are my two favorites. Okay. But is there any, like, I don't know, I can't, like, Love Island. No, that's a competition show, you said, right? So, you like, essentially, you, you win, there's a winner at the end. You're now, are they competing for love? Sure. Now, oh, God. So, are they <laughs> in a relationship at the end? Yeah. I mean, it, I would say that the people that leave, the percentage of relationships that last is under 50. But they're all, you know, you have your outliers in, like, Love Island, Bachelor of relationships that do work out, but the majority of them don't. Does that mean anything to you? 
Or are you just about the process? I'm really curious. Um, it depends because with Bachelor or Bachelorette, if I'm invested in the lead, then it matters. But if I didn't really care about the lead, then I don't care. I think okay. it's case by case. All right. So I don't watch TV at all. I certainly don't watch any reality shows. That idea that I, you're asking for not just six weeks of my time where you want me to tune in and watch The Ultimate Fighter. You're also mm-hmm. asking me to get invested in the consequence of The Ultimate Fighter. Meaning, I want to see this fighter then do something in the UFC. For you, when you watch a reality show, that even if it has a contest or a competition or something at the end, that's kind of it for you. It's like, all right, he won The Bachelor, whatever the hell the deal is. He's now there together, whatever the heck it is. Like, it's a good for you. Yeah, good for you, and you're on to the next season of The Bachelor. You don't care that they're bro- they broke up. Like, I spent all this time, and they got broke up in two weeks. That doesn't mean anything to you. Wait, it doesn't mean anything to me because, you know, a few weeks later then, let's say, like, The Bachelorette just ended. A few weeks later, The Bachelor starts. And then a few weeks after that, Bachelor in Paradise happens. So it's a never-ending cycle of investment. I've never seen you this happy, by the way. I've never discussing reality. I've never seen Kelly this happy ever. So, I feel like I'm really shining right now. You are. You are because I know nothing about this. But, but what, what – so do you think that's a flaw in The Ultimate Fighter then? That – that they're asking for a much more long-term investment that may or may not pay off. While the Dana White's contender series, we literally see them for one fight, and then they get a contract. Maybe two. A a, a repeat on the Ultimate Fighter is extremely rare, right? It, oh, right. you didn't win one this time. You come back, you win one. But two's sure. a lot. And then it's, okay, I like this guy. You had me watch him twice for maybe six minutes. And then I don't think he's going to be champion. I didn't watch him for a freaking month. I watched him for – I watched him twice. So – I'm not necessarily saying, ah, oh, if this guy's in champ, it's going to bug me. I watched him twice. Do you think that that idea that the, the, the end product isn't asking as much and mm-hmm. we don't expect as much? Do you think that's the strength of contender series? Yes. I think it's for the ultimate fighter. I think it's a lose-lose, whereas yeah. for contender series, it's a win-win. The ultimate fighter, you need a longer period of engagement for more of a de- developmental league, whereas contender series – it's a one night only for more experienced guys where you they're only getting a contract, not only if they win, if their performance is super exciting. So it's a win-win for them, kind of lose-lose for the Ultimate Fighter if people aren't willing to invest their time. Um, I'm going to give you guys a history lesson you did not ask for. I know you were not around for this, Kelly Kill. You may have been around for it, KOB, but you're too young to remember it. You guys don't remember New Coke, do you? When they changed the formula of Coke? And I love how you guys are giving me looks like I have no idea what you're talking about. This was in the 80s. I want to say 1985. I was a little kid when it happened. I remember it. Uh, essentially, there's a thing called the Pepsi Challenge where they had Pepsi and Coke, and they gave you a little tiny shot, like a little thimbleful of Pepsi and Coke. And they said, which one do you like better? And Pepsi kept winning. And so Pepsi made a big deal about the Pepsi Challenge and da-da-da-da. And Pepsi's market share started going up. Coke panicked and changed their formula. And everybody hated it. And so Coke sales went way down. Then they reintroduced something called Coca-Cola Classic, which is what you guys drink now, which is the same thing. And they brought it back. And then Coke basically shot way past Pepsi and is now the number one drink. Well, what they found out when they reviewed all this stuff is Pepsi is just sweeter than Coke. So if you give somebody a little tiny bit, if you give them a little tiny thimbleful of it, our brains will automatically like Pepsi a little bit more. When they performed different tests where they gave them a whole can or they gave them a case and said, take it home, drink the whole case, and tell us what you like more, Coke won every single time. 
That's what we're saying here. And it's a little-known marketing thing about the Pepsi Challenge. The Pepsi Challenge worked because it gave you a very, very small sample. And so Pepsi's better for that little sample. But when it comes to a long-term investment, I want to drink a whole I want to drink a Coke every night with dinner. People like Coke more because it wasn't as sweet. So that's the difference here. Dana White's contingency is Pepsi Challenge. You're not asking me to drink a whole freaking case of the stuff. You're asking me one little sip. How do you like this? Bam, a knockout. Cool. I like that guy. Done. That's it. Boom. Done. The ultimate fighter is the long-term six weeks. Can you win a title? You're asking more of me. You're going to get different results. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Here's a little segment we're calling Tales from the Broadcast Booth, right? You have some stories about broadcasting in general. KOB is going to throw, it at, throw them at me. I'm going to hit them back with my broadcasting knowledge about this stuff. Hit me, KOB. All right, so Tony Romo has come under some fire for some comments he made during the Bucks game where we discussed yesterday Mike Evans actually took Tom Brady's 600 touchdown ball and accidentally gave it to a fan, and a Bucks rep – had to go out there and try to negotiate to get the ball back. So, Which is what worth happened, what, KOB? Remind the listeners how uh, much that ball is worth right now? At a minimum, they're guessing around half a million dollars. Just, just At maximum? Yeah. Damn near a million dollars. Yeah. Who knows? Well, yes. Who knows what a ball like that goes Gotta for? Gotta throw that in. You're giving away so, t-shirts and shit. Okay, so during the broadcast on CBS, they kind of zoomed in on the, on the rep from the Bucks trying to talk the guy into giving him the ball. Tony Romo started to joke around as to what the conversation was going to be and is under some fire for these comments. I will play you the clip uh, right now. Let me actually uh, share screen it so you can see, Jimmy Smith. Right. So they go into the stands. Here's what's going on. And, and the rep is, like, trying to get the ball back. This poor guy in a hat and a, a T-shirt talking to this fan who has a ball in his hand that is worth half a million to a million dollars. Hit it. Great negotiations in NFL history. Right here, he's like, we need that ball. That's 600. What? Really? So what do you want? A million? No. Oh, a this, day with this, Giselle. This a day with on. Giselle and I'm in. Tom? Okay, Tom will do it. He'll love it. One time. You got it. So apparently, ah. Tony yeah. Romo is under is under fire. People calling that statement about, you know, oh, a date with Giselle? A date with Giselle. That's cre-. They're saying that's creepy, that Romo was being very creepy about it. All right, I'll make two statements. Number one, if he had said a night with Giselle or sleeping with Giselle or you can have Giselle, okay, that's a little creepy. Now, KLB, here's what's going to happen. Kelly, you're our arbiter, right? You, you are making the judgment here. I'm throwing out my opinion. You tell me if it's, if it's on base. Okay, Kel, seriously. All right? So, right. right, if Romo had said a night with Giselle or sleep or made some sexual reference – Gross. That would qualify. Yeah, that would be – you do, don't have to do that. That would have been over the line. If he had said, oh, a night with Giselle. Okay, that's that's a little over the line to me. He didn't. He said a date with Giselle, which is – you know, like it doesn't have the sexual connotation that would make it over the line. The other thing I will say is everything I've read, if people said that's a little creepy, they haven't 
oh, he shouldn't work anymore. Yeah, people are kind of throwing this into the cancel culture bucket. He, no one's suggesting that. No one's saying it was, you know, he should be fired. It's, it's more like, that eh, was a little creepy to reference the guy's wife. So I see both sides of it. I lean on the side of Romo. He didn't make a sexual inference. He didn't talk about sleeping with her. He didn't say that she could be traded for the ball. None of that stuff would be over the line. But the reaction has been, you know, comparatively mild. But I, I'm siding with Romo on this one. Kelly, what do you say? I'm also siding with Tony Romo. Like, if yeah. he said something yeah. like you said about a night with Giselle, that's creepy and gross. Yeah, yeah, that's gross. Yeah. He literally said a date. A date could be going to get coffee during the day. Yeah, yeah, I get around. to hang out with just, yeah, yeah. Right, like, right. not weird at all. I think people are trying to make this a little bit worse than it is. Like, yeah. I, but I see what, like you said, I kind of see where people are coming from, I guess. Like, creepy isn't the worst thing to be said. It's not like people are calling for his yes, job. Like, yes, Maybe yes. some people are just feeling rubbed the wrong way on it. I understand. I, however, am siding with Tony Romo. I don't think it was a weird thing. Like, he didn't mean it to be weird. That's not what it was. Right. What do we call it when we're supposed to see a movie at the same time? A date. Yeah. I was like, yeah, our movie date. No, no, no. Like, that was our joke. Oh, the movie date. The word date could mean a million things that aren't necessarily sexual at all like yeah yeah we got our movie date whatever yeah yeah, i I, I went to new york blah blah i had a date with you know kelly we hung out there there's a different connotation than if you had like offered giselle for the ball then we get creepy kob what's your opinion man do you agree with what we're saying here i thought it was a pretty funny joke yeah i thought it was kind of funny yeah it was you know it was good his his comedic timing was good yeah i'm sure there'll, there'll be you know smarter people sophisticated people who will claim that like oh you're just that's a male chauvinist uh Point of, I thought it was a pretty funny joke when I saw it. Yeah, I like, yeah. and I also like how he threw in the whole like, "Yep, Tom, one time, okay, Tom, Tom says fine, cool." Like, yeah, whatever. yeah. His like, timing was good. His timing of the joke was actually threw, excellent. Yeah, he, he threw in Tom says it's okay just to make sure like Tom Brady would be on board with that. You know, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Within the joke. Yeah, uh, yeah. I do think people are just overreacting to like a joke. Like one of the, one of the tweets I had seen was something like, "What does he presume is going to happen on that like on that day?" It's like nothing. That was the that's joke. Like, on that's in your right. mind. Like, it's not right? like he like, thought it through. Like ex- no one knew exactly, this was going to happen for Tony Romo to exactly play on the joke. Exactly what you're yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I think that was a very like specifically chosen word of like date with Giselle. Date with Giselle. yeah, it's probably, right. Whatever. Like, date not hey, doesn't mean date with Giselle. Right. That's different. Right. How many times have we used the phrase like, "Oh yeah, it's a date"? Like when you when you just yeah. make a plan 100%, with someone, like, oh, whatever, dude. it's a date. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. You know, if, if, so, if I'm gonna go to if I'm gonna be in New York, which I will be for Raw soon, and we go and I watch the Giants get slain with Kob, well, we call it a date, dude. It's a date. Let's go. Come on, man. Let's watch the, the Giants get murdered by some team. To me, that's fun. Why that's was fun. I excluded so from the date though? Because then it'd be less of a date. Because you Because you've already stood Jimmy up. You've already <laughs> stood me up. First off, with our movie date, I will not sit at a sports bar waiting for you like I did for the movie. Thank you. All right, I'm over it though because I'm an adult. I can move past it. All right. So what's our next broadcasting incident? Well, this one I'm just curious if you've ever had a similar yeah. experience because uh, Joe Buck was talking on the Smartless podcast and mentioned. That during a broadcast, quote unquote, I have I have peed in a bottle while calling an NFL touchdown. I swear to God, I was peeing in a trash can and they handed me a little water bottle. We came back from a break and I was peeing in the when the action started, and I called the touchdown while urine was coming out of me. I, these MMA broadcasts that you have worked are what, yeah, six hours, hours long, seven yeah, hours six, seven long. Hours, yeah. Have you ever had to, to pee in, the, in a water bottle? 
No. Um, two things I do. Number one, I pee a lot before a show. I just make sure that I have everything I'm a system. I don't dry I don't drink a lot of water during a show for that very reason. Number two, during an MMA show, I am the color commentator. The play by play guy can cover for me for a little bit, especially in the three man booth. We can cover for somebody who's doing something. So if I was ever desperate, I told my producer, dude, I got to pee. I'd go during the commercial. If I'm not back in time or if it's a pay-per-view, they have these long vignettes and, you know, how did we get here video pieces. They're usually two or three minutes long. You can pee in that time. And then, once again, three-man booth. There was a a fight uh, in Chicago that I called with Joe Rogan. He had a full meal during the prelims. He literally got food delivered to him and ate the whole time. And so there was one fight where you didn't hear Joe. Joe was eating. So the producer said Joe's eating. So Anik and I called the whole fight or the whole round or however long it took Joe to eat. So it's, it's unnecessary. Now, doing play-by-play, if you have a color guy that can, that can jump in and do play-by-play stuff, like I could in Bellator, I'll just cover for whomever. Goldie has a bladder like a squirrel. Straight up. I'll say that right now publicly. Goldie is like, I got to pee. I got to pee. I gotta. He just has a small bladder. I don't know what the deal is. But whenever he would run up, my producer would go, if he's not back by the time it starts, Jimmy, just take us from commercial, start the fight, start the walk-in. Whatever. And I can do those things. I've been in broadcasting forever. So if you have a play-by-play guy or a, a, a color guy that can do your job a little bit, we cover for one another. I've never been like that. My question is, and I don't mean to be overly vulgar here, when did he whip it out to do this? So, like, he was peeing, and then he had to go back, and they gave him a bottle, so when he walked back, exposed and peeing, like, you know what I mean? Like, the details of it are weird, right? My guess is they were do probably... Do you pull it out under bre- the desk? My, my guess is he's I'm serious. Probably, like, they, I know it's funny, were, but, you know... They were probably at a break, is what I would assume, and then maybe they came back quicker than they thought they were going to, and he was just like, all right, well, here we go. Like, well, so you <laughs> ran back with it? Like, it's, it's just like the details are fuzzy here. Like, at what point did he do that? I don't know, because that's the weird part. I can imagine, like, peeing in a bottle behind a corner, but like, hey, hold on one second, Troy, and you whip it out under the desk and pee in a bottle? Oh, that's insane. So, so never in that. Jimmy Smith's long-time broadcasting history – has he ever had to ever no. had to resort to peeing in the bottle? No, never. I've never had. To, I've heard of it. I really have from various people. I've never had to do it myself. I'll oh, always take the test. Determined that was a lie. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. Give me a break. And also, bottles just aren't big enough. This is Lindsay Rhodes, and I'm so excited for my podcast, The NFL Roadshow, to be joining the SiriusXM sports family. We'll be talking about the most compelling topics and to some of the most interesting people in and around the NFL. Taking a look at things through my somewhat nerdy football lens. I like to push past the low-hanging fruit to get to the real stories that are going to make you feel like a smarter football fan. So please join me every Wednesday for The NFL Roadshow, available on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts. Checking in with Laura Sanko post Dana White's contender series, not just about the fights that happened, but everything swirling around the contender series before and after. Can't wait to get her opinion on stuff. Thank you so much for joining us, Laura. Well, thank you for having me. As always, I'm that's, that's back home. I'm ready to be done with this this season, though. I tell you what. <laughs> oh, really? Starting to wear on you? I mean, you know, traveling every week it, it can be it can be a lot, Jimmy. I mean, you know that life. Thanks. So, uh, no, yeah, I, I love, I love what I do. I love the new role I'm in, but I'm definitely, uh, I'm ready for a break for sure. 
Yes, I travel every Monday and we have no season. It's literally 52 weeks a year. Anyways, I understand yep. you completely. I get no breaks. So, um, before we get into any specific fights or any of the stuff that's going on, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about uh, Dana White fielded some questions uh, post-Contender Series. One of them that I found very, very interesting was this idea that in the long term, when it's all said and done, whenever that is, that Dana White's Contender Series – will generate more champions, more Hall of Famers than the Ultimate Fighter. And what I've been talking about today is it asks a very different thing of the audience. The Ultimate Fighter asks us for a six-week commitment to a fighter or a winner, hopefully, whatever it is. And then we feel after that six weeks that that fighter has to do something in order for, for us to justify that time, in a sense. And increasingly with the Ultimate Fighter, for the past few years, they haven't gone on to great relevance, right? Dana White's Contender Series, we're invested for one fight, maybe two, and we therefore ask less of the fighters in the UFC. So I think like we're getting more for less with Dana White's Contender Series. Is that how you see it? Is that fair? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting way to look at it, and I had never really quite heard it put that way but i think so what i do laura it's just basically I know, how i, I do know. stuff yeah, so no, i'm opening really, minds what can i do about it <laughs> that's a very it's a very uh insightful way to put it i think um there's certainly they're they're obviously they're very different platforms and not only do they ask different things of the audience that i think you put very poignantly um it asks very different things of the fighters and as a result i think a different type of fighter i don't know i think sub fighters would succeed on either show but i think uh in aggregate you have different types of fighters succeeding in each scenario so for instance um uh, well the example that comes to mind honestly is when they had the women's uh i believe it was the women's supposed to be the women's featherweight uh episode season i should say um for for uh, the ultimate fighter. Yes. And because of the way that the show is built, you ended up with an entire class of bantamweights who were just like, Oh sweet. I, it would have been really insane for me to cut down to 135 three times over a course of six weeks anyway. So yeah, like I'm, I'm a featherweight now, but then of course, when they graduate from the show, they're like, no, no, no I'm actually a bantamweight. You know, so you just, there, are, there yeah. are aspects to the way that the show is filmed that influence the type of fighter who can even participate in that show, if that makes sense. Like, guys and women, lots of really good really good fighters have, have been uh, good candidates for that show in terms of, like, they would have been interesting people and they're great fighters, but they don't have the ability to leave their life for six straight weeks. Yeah. So. I think there's been times where we've maybe missed out on some people participating in certain seasons. On the flip side, contender series, I do think that the matchup you get on that one night is, is so critical. It's, it's, it's extremely critical and the matchmakers do a fantastic job, but the reality is you can look really, really great against a decent guy, or you can face another killer and, you know, just be on the wrong side of a split decision and possibly still be the better fight, if, if that makes sense. Like, like the MMA bath kind of becomes a problem, I think, um, when you're looking at, at one night. Not always. I think the matchmaking is done so well, and, and, and they're paired up 
appropriately for the most part, but you've got just this split second essentially to make an impression. They're just very different properties. I called it the Pepsi challenge of, of MMA. You get this little tiny shot, and you're like Pepsi or Coke better. Well, you're getting a little yeah. tiny sampling. So there's a difference between that little shot, which is Dana White's contender series, you have that one night, and here's a case. Take it home. Let us know which one you like more. Well, you're not asking me for that investment with contender series. It's, oh, yeah, I like this little shot. I like this person. You're not asking a lot of them. And, and I mean, obviously, any fight you're asking a lot, but as far as the fan base goes, you're getting a very small sample with which to make a decision. And – Every night for contender series, what do we have? Four contracts, five, right? So yeah. it's also there's only one winner of the Ultimate Fighter. This allows Dana to just spend a lot of ammunition finding that right person. Is that fair as well? For sure, for sure. No, that's very fair. And I think honestly, I think it's an excellent. It's a really smart way to do business to cast a broad net. To cast, and, and I don't mean that in any sort of um, bad way. Like they're casting. I don't know how to put this. A broad yet, yet at the same time a narrow net, which I really doesn't make any sense. But see if I can articulate this well. As I was thinking about, for instance, last night, the Chinese fighters on the show. Yes. At three of whom, and, and none of them won. But you think about the, the funnel that they have to go through to get to this show is so much more difficult than if you are a U.S.-based fighter. They live in a country of 1.5 billion people. I don't know how many of those people participate in some form of martial art, but I would imagine it's quite a few. I've been there. And then it's you kind of narrow. Yeah, then you <laughs> narrow it down to the ones who decide to like really dedicate themselves to that martial art, to a career in some form of fighting, even less. But we're still talking about a massive, massive number. So to be three of the best Chinese fighters, I mean, that is, those are incredible odds. They're insane odds. So in some sense, you're casting a broad net. In some, ca- in some sense, you are cherry picking. But my point is, like, when you, when you give, as you say, three or four contracts away each week, you're, you're filling the UFC with, with lots of ammunition. And sometimes you're going to get a Sean O'Malley. And sometimes you're not. Probably most of the time you're not. But it's almost like, you know, I, I come from the, my background is in um, venture capital, so it's in like the startup world. That's why and you're so rich, yeah. Kind of, right, not right. Exactly. Yeah, and totally. the, <laughs> the basic rule of thumb is you make 10 investments. In reality, you really only anticipate one of them to hit. But you need to anticipate a 10x return on all of them, knowing that nine of them are probably going to fail and that one is going to make up for the nine that didn't that didn't do well. It's kind of the same thing here, right? And it's a really smart business model in terms of the UFC. But I think, you know, the ultimate fighter is always going to be a really special property for this company just because of the history behind it. And it does, it allows you to build, if you get the right person and, and, and the, the right person wins, um, you get, you get a huge star that doesn't need as much gasoline as they might coming off of the contender series. But we also live in a very different day than when Forrest Griffin and Stefan Bonner were on television. You know, I mean, like social media is so much more powerful than just even being on television was back then. 
That is very, very true. I'm talking to Laura Sanko, of course, commentator for Dana White's Contender Series. Uh, of all the fights last night, there was one that almost everyone had their eye on. I think they should have had it on anyway. Both guys were undefeated. Both guys had great records. Both guys were great finishers. But uh, Javid Basharat versus Oren Collin, of course. Uh, Collin in the weigh-in who's from Israel, called Basharat, who's from Afghanistan, a terrorist. That got a lot of headlines, first off. Yeah. Um, afterward, Dana White said, I don't care. Anything they say on stage is fine with me because they got to settle it in the octagon. And, and one thing I said today is, yeah, what if the wrong guy wins? Then, like, there was a sense of justice, according to Dana White. Like, oh, yeah. well, he got his ass beat. Well, there you go. He could have just as easily got his ass kicked. And then you're stuck with a guy who did that, who missed weight by three pounds. This was one of those where, air quotes, the right guy won. But it could have gone the other way. How would you feel watching this fight with everything that had transpired before uh, Transpired before it? You know, it's, it, yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm torn because if I'm being honest, the, the just bleed guy in me is like, yeah, I like it when there's a little something there and, and you know, when there's a little tension or whatever. And then the adult in me, of course, doesn't ever appreciate the, that type of name being thrown around, you know. And it, it, has, it has so much more implications than that I think people who are from our part of the world truly understand. You know, I, I did not – I've never worn – I've never grown up in a war-torn country. I have no idea. I have no concept of what it's like to – live my life that way and what's crazy about him doing that is that Basharat fled Afghanistan with his family when he was five years old and they lived in refugee camps and the reason he talks the way he does is because he grew up in London because they fled Afghanistan because Afghanistan was dealing with so much turmoil and war so I mean I'm not even going to get into the politics of it but like (laughs) The guy, the poor guy, had to like flee his country because yeah. of political issues, and so for him, so for his opponent to refer to him by that name was, yeah, I thought it was really low. Do I think it's the worst thing that a fighter has ever said on the history of fighting? No, probably not, but it was very much uncalled for. And yeah, I mean, you're right. I think we're all like, yeah, the right guy won. I mean, and, and I hate to say that because I. I think after the fight, they shook hands and like had a little moment. And I don't know, like, it's just, it's weird. I personally think that religion and families should be kept out of um, talk like that. But I understand Dana's stance because if you start policing, I'm also very anti-cancel culture. So like, where do you draw the, the line, right? If you start policing certain things, then it's just such a, it's such a Pandora's box of issues. Well, I got to point out, they do have a conduct policy. I know. I had a lot of calls today. People go, well, what's he supposed to? And I read him the conduct policy. I read it out loud. And it says you are not allowed to denigrate someone's nation of origin, race, or ethnicity. You're not allowed to do that. So when people say, and I understand your point, well, where's the line? Well, Jesus, you made a line. Technically, you wasted the ink and paper on making a conduct policy. You just don't enforce it. So when you say, oh, where's the line? Yeah, they I mean, made like, one if themselves. I, if, I, if I fight a Canadian girl <laughs> and I walk up to her and I'm like, yeah, bitch, you smell like maple syrup. I mean, am I denigrating her country or am I being funny? You know what I mean? Like, I would find that funny. She might not find that funny. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's such a, 
it's such a tricky thing. I'm not saying that what he said falls into the category. I, I'm, I'm obviously giving a very, um, you know, an example on the other end of the spectrum, but it's, it's like they have to have that in there so that if they need to pull the trigger, they can. But to some degree, I appreciate that they don't pull the trigger very often in terms of policing um, what people say. That's my personal view on it, but I, I can understand why. I mean, I don't enjoy hearing it. I didn't like hearing that guy say that. I thought that was really uncalled for and just a shitty thing for a human being to say to another human being. N-word on stage? An anti-Semitic no. slur on stage? Yeah. Okay. I well, mean, yeah. Yeah. That's... I know. You I know, mean, like, because the problem is, is that at the end when he goes, no, a reporter asked in a white, like, so what is the line? He goes, is, is anything over the line? He goes, no. And I said on air on this show an hour ago, I said, so N-word on stage? And everybody goes, no. And I'm like, well, th- that's a line somewhere. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. you know, there is one. It just wasn't triggered in this place. And me as a fan, I consider and hope that dude gets his ass beat right into the ground. And he did. But, you know, the idea that at the end it all worked out. I was like, well, yeah, but it could have not. And then you're stuck with a guy yeah. who, A, missed weight and A, said something like that that you do not want around you know what i mean you don't want to give that guy a contract so like those are another one of those things where where as a as a fan base we gotta i don't want that guy getting a contract right what's crazy too like and i'm probably reading too much into this when when kahlon did his um pre-fight interviews and i'll tell you where i'm going with this before i go there but i i just wonder if he said it as like I'm going to really get under this guy's skin, but maybe he didn't fully like think about how crazy of a comment that was. And I, the only reason I'm saying that is because um, when, when he did his pre-fight interviews, he literally went out of his way um, because he was talking about how, you know, growing up in Israel. And of course the topic comes up of like, he grew up in turmoil as well. And before the interviewer said anything like, we were trying to kind of steer away from politics, but, and I, and I just listen, I don't participate in these. I'm just given an audio file after the fact, but I can hear the raw audio of everything that was said right. in the conversation, not just what made it to the edit. And he said, you know, I really want to like, I, I grew up near Gaza, but like, I want people to, to know that like, I, I, I love the people from Gaza and, you know, I just want, I want there to be peace between all of the people in the Middle East. And he even said, he's like, he's like, the reality is we're all from the same, essentially we're all the same people. We just, we're, we're like cousins, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, we're, and, and, and we're all fighting and it's all, like he was really, he was really beating the drum of like peace in the Middle East. And so it was so bizarre to me when he said that because he, he spent minutes in this interview and I don't think any of it made the edit, but he spent minutes going on about how like, it mattered to him to show that uh, you know Jews and Muslims could fight along each other alongside each other in the in the UFC. So it was just that's the only thing I, I want to put out there that people don't know about. But it doesn't excuse what he said. It just makes it more confusing. He ruined that one. Yeah, he really did. If he that really was did. his intention, Laura, he ruined it. Yeah, yeah. He and that's, uh, that's either either that, he was being that, disingenuous that's sad, in the interview it sucks. or. Or he just—I don't know. I have no way to explain it. I have no way to explain it. Well, I'm glad. I'm really glad you, as a commentator, and and uh, can express that sentiment because the one thing it allows me to do as a fan is 
you know, I'm allowed to say, I hope this guy gets murdered. You as a commentator yeah. shouldn't and can't. Cannot. Yeah, and yeah. you can't, and, and you're being a professional, and I appreciate it. And I appreciate, by the way, you coming on and giving us your honest take on it. Laura, you are awesome every week, especially this week when there was a lot of stuff outside of the Octagon that was important. Thank you for bringing all the light. Love having you on. Thank you. Appreciate it, Jimmy. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Andy King is director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.